Good evening and welcome to our Good Friday service. This service is the low light of the Christian calendar, and thus we start in silence, and as we go through this service, it will be darkening in here. You can sort of hear the wind out there, so possibly if it goes dark really early, that wasn't part of the plan, that just means we lost power. And if you're watching us and joining us through live stream and it's suddenly not there anymore, same solution. Sorry about that in advance. As we worship this evening, we will be participating in communion. I hope you grabbed elements on your way in. And if you haven't done it before, start now and trying to figure out how to open it exactly so that you have that ready when we come to that part of the service. Um, this is a tenebrae service, and so it will be, um, we'll start with a message and communion, and then we'll just be entering into the story of, um, of Good Friday, following Jesus to the cross. Lots of readings and songs, um, when I say low light, I only mean the lights are going to get low. This is usually an incredibly powerful service because this is where we meet Jesus on the road to the cross, his sacrifice for us. Um, as we begin, then, let us go to God in prayer. Lord Jesus, as we enter this service, we can already feel that we are on a heavy journey and we recognize that the weight of that journey was on you. And so we pray that as we follow, as we listen, as we sing, as we worship, we may be attentive to you. And we may know that you are our Lord, and we may know your love. Come, Holy Spirit, and guide us each step of the way. We pray in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. I invite you to join me in standing. As the people gathered by God, we receive his word of greeting, grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, through our Lord Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells among us. Amen.
our journey this evening in Mark chapter 14, where Jesus is anointed at Bethany. Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some sly way to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table of the home of Simon, the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you'll always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money, so he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples, telling them, go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house he enters, the teacher asks, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. The disciples left, went into the city, and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. This is the word of the Lord. So the 
title of this message is Being Prepared. And one of the beautiful things about English is you can say a whole lot of things and mean two things at the same time. Being prepared for most of us is about getting ourselves ready. It's an action that we do. We prepared for this service by, um, by driving here, by taking a seat, by grabbing our communion elements and so on, and coming and grabbing our spot. Being prepared, however, is also a passive thing. When the Passover lamb was prepared, the lamb, of course, did nothing. The lamb was slaughtered and became the sacrifice. When we follow Jesus on this journey this evening, I want to suggest to you that most of our role is actually passive. For those of you sitting here, that's probably a little bit easier than those of us who are leading up here. But your job is simply this evening to watch and listen and sing. Your mind will be active. Your emotions will hopefully be active. You'll be engaged. But what we need to recognize is there's not a thing that we can do to make Good Friday work. Jesus did that. And so our preparation is watching him being prepared. And this passage gives us a whole lot of clues as to how Jesus was prepared. It starts by telling us that it was the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The preparation for Good Friday started way back in Exodus 12, where the Passover is instituted. The people of Israel, the Jewish people, had ingrained in their system that every year they would remember with, with, um, with great celebration the slaughtering of the perfect lamb, the blood that was put on the doorposts, and the fact that God then passed over them and saved their lives. And so this expectation, this remembering, this ceremony was deeply ingrained. God had prepared them for this moment, but this time with Jesus, it was going to change, as we shall see. Also part of the preparation, the big picture of what's going on here is we have the chief priests. Now, if you're very familiar with the whole priestly rules as they're laid out in Leviticus, and maybe you are, maybe you're not, there weren't actually supposed to be chief priests. There was a high priest, there was a priest who was on duty, but these chief priests are actually people who had kind of sold themselves out to the opposition to God and his ways. These were people who had grabbed power. And so we have the sacrifice of Passover, which is about humbling sacrifice, and we have the grab of power, the chief priests, and we're going to see that throughout this story, those two things clash and bump into each other. And so as we go on this journey, we need to be deeply aware. Are we on the side of power, of our ability to prepare and our ability to do things? Or are we here to allow, to receive what Christ did for us? So then Jesus goes, and this shows a preparation of, of mindset. Jesus goes to the house of Simon the leper. So if your name is Simon the leper, there's a decent chance you at least were a leper at one time. And if you know anything about leprosy in the Bible, lepers were unclean, which meant they had to stay over there. Never mind, they had to stay outside the doors. So it must be, if this is the house of Simon the leper, that he was a healed leper. And somehow, as we seem to do, they kept his nickname. And at the house of Simon the leper, we see again that that's precisely the people who God, or who Jesus hangs around with. Jesus goes to his house because this was somebody who had received and now was giving. This is somebody who had received healing from Christ 
and now was giving hospitality in response. And there was a woman there, an unnamed woman. There's a number of unnamed characters in this story. And of course, biblical scholars love to try and figure out who unnamed people are. I'm going to suggest to you that the reason they're unnamed in the Bible is because it's not important that we know their name. And so all the different options of who this is, you may read about it if you want to. This was simply a woman. And she broke a jar of incredibly expensive perfume. She took a brand new car and ran it off a cliff. She took the most valuable thing she could possibly find and use it all in one short shot. Now, some people suggest that actually this was Mary Magdalene, because that's what another gospel talks about, and Mary Magdalene had been a prostitute. And I understand that prostitutes actually wore a vial of perfume around their neck, and it would drip really slowly so that they would always have the scent of perfume, and that was their red light, if you will. That was their calling card. You smelled that, you knew that's what this person was doing. Part of what might have been happening here as this entire jar is broken, never to be used again, and dumped in anointing on Jesus was a rescinding of her old way of life, a letting go and a coming to Jesus. Could be. What's important in this story, however, is the response of the people around her. They were really annoyed. They thought, and feel free to admit that you might have thought this as well, wow, what a waste. Wouldn't it have sufficed to use a little perfume? Because I don't know about you, but perfume's pretty strong. We would have smelled it anyways. The, the point would have been made. We could have used this money to help the poor. And how can you argue with helping the poor? Right? Nobody argues with helping the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. And as always seems to be the case, Jesus takes the side of the person who's being pushed down. He's in the home of Simon the leper. He takes this unnamed woman's side, and he says, leave her alone. Leave her alone. Jesus says, you'll always have poor people to give to. And he's not saying that flippantly like, hey, you're never going to get rid of poverty. Don't worry about it. He's saying, you got to know the most important thing. And the most important thing to Jesus is always, where's your heart? Right? So if your reason for condemning somebody is to help the poor, then what you've done is you thought, I'm going to put down this person because I think we should talk about helping this person. And Jesus recognized and calls their attention to the fact that really the preparation point here is are you ready to focus above all, above all else, on Jesus himself and worship him? And clearly this woman understood that she needed to worship with all that she had. She needed to come to Jesus with the fullest offering she possibly could. That was her preparation. And it seems Jesus senses she had it right. And then he says this. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare me for my burial. 
You'll notice that after that, nobody actually picks up on the line for my burial. Either they are tired of Jesus saying it, he had said it a number of times, or, as seems to be the case so often, they just completely miss that. And I wonder, because we also don't know this, did she know? Did this woman actually know? Did she actually hear when Jesus said, the Son of Man must be betrayed and given over to the authorities and die, and on the third day he'll rise again? Did she have that faith and prepare him in that knowledge? If she did, she's one of the few, and she was an unnamed woman in the story. And then Judas Iscariot. Everybody seems to know who Judas Iscariot is. He went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them, and they were delighted, and they promised him money. And though, again, the Bible doesn't tell us exactly why Judas did this, somewhere between being offered money and not liking the way Jesus was dealing with this woman and the waste of money and that perfume may well have tipped him over. Judas went from the side of being a follower of Jesus, the sacrificial lamb, to being one of the power people who knew that money and power were in the hands of the chief priests. And so Jesus' body is anointed and prepared. And our preparation is to recognize that we're on the journey to that sacrifice, to that death. And then the next section is about the Last Supper. We are going to participate in communion in a little while, and as we do so, we're, we need to recognize that what Jesus does, what we're so used to, the words that I'll be saying around communion, they're a messing up of the Passover, if you will. They're a retranslation of the Passover. They're Jesus putting himself in the place of the Passover lamb. Here his disciples ask him, where do we prepare for the Passover? And again, they're really in kind of a passive mode because all they have is a question, Jesus, what do you want us to do? I think they learned from the, the donkey experience on Palm Sunday that Jesus will have an interesting way of getting them to get things ready. And Jesus does. He says, go into the city and there's a man carrying a jar of water who will meet you. Now, in a time when everyone needed to carry water, you might think, how do they know which man carrying water they're supposed to look for? The hint is in this. Usually, don't shoot the messenger, it was a woman's job to carry the water. So a man carrying the water would stand out and they're told to follow him to whose house? The owner. And to tell him the teacher is looking for a place to celebrate the Passover. No names again. Just an anonymous person being pulled into what Jesus had already prepared ahead of time, what God had in store for them, and being brought into this journey with him. And so the disciples went there, and they prepared. They did all those things that you need to do to make ready for a meal. But you know, right, that the meal doesn't happen unless the people come, unless the event happens, unless the conversation takes place. And so their preparation is, again, that sort of small piece that we bring by showing up in a service like this. But we simply watch and await, and it's not unless Jesus comes, it's not until we meet Jesus at the table that all that has been prepared for truly takes place. And so as we worship um, this evening, you've been invited to do a small act of preparation. 
And I've been holding this rock mostly so that I wouldn't forget to say this piece. And if you picked a rock up on your way in, you're invited to, at this time, do a really small piece of preparation. I've been holding it, so let's think of that as it has become warmed by my hand. It has my heat. That's all I could do in this circumstance. And I'm going to bring it here, and I'm going to let go of it, and I'm going to drop it here sort of at the foot of the cross. And I invite you to do the same thing. And you recognize this is one incredibly simple action, and it might even feel like a trivial action, and that might just be good because that's just drawing you in because that's all the preparation we need. Jesus is going to do the rest. We're going to go to a song, and as that song is taking place, please feel free, if you want to, to bring your rock and bring it here.
the crown Told the world of the treasure you found When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they're reclining at the table, he said, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. And they were saddened. And one by one, they said to him, surely not I. As we come to the table this evening, we come saying, surely not I. I wouldn't betray you. And of course, you ask that question because there's something in your conscience that suspects maybe that's exactly what has happened. On Good Friday, when we celebrate communion, we're deeply aware that Jesus' sacrifice was for us, that it's our sin that put him there, that's his sacrifice that sets us free. And so we recognize then, as he said with them, taking the bread, he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup, and there were four cups, just one of the cups he took. And this one he said, do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And he recognized that he wouldn't be participating in this kind of a meal again until he did so in the kingdom. So what Jesus was saying is, it's my body and it's my blood. But know this, I give them for you, but there's going to be a time when we do this again, when it all comes around and we live in that kind of hope. If you are here this evening and you want to follow Jesus and you want hope in the forgiveness of your sins, I invite you to participate in this meal. Because in doing so, what you are saying is, I do believe this is Christ's body broken for me. I do believe this is his blood shed for me. I do want him to forgive me and then also nourish me for the rest of this journey with him. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, as we gather as your people, and as we receive these elements from you, we pray that by the power of your spirit, we may recognize in them your body and your blood that we may receive in them the power of your sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins, and that in so doing, we may know your truth, and your truth would set us free. Come, Lord Jesus, and shape us and guide us in this meal, we pray. If by any chance you did not yet get a communion packet, just stick up your hand a second. Someone will quickly bring you one. I see no hands. You all did wonderfully well. Way to go. Okay. Let's take the bread. Take, eat, remember, and believe that the body of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, was broken and given for the complete forgiveness of all our sin.
and the cup. Take, drink, remember, and believe that the blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was shed for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. Mark's version of this story ends with, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. We're going to sing a hymn, and then we'll continue to hear the story and follow Jesus on this journey. The Shadow of Betrayal, as recorded in Matthew 26, verse 20 to 25. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, Truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him one after another, Surely you don't mean me, Lord. And Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go, just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, 
Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. Jesus answered, you have said so. shadow of inner agony. The wind was picking up now, blowing clouds across the moon, covering the garden in darkness. Stay up with me, Jesus asked his friends. They said yes and waited under the olive trees, but they were tired and soon they fell asleep. Jesus walked ahead alone into the dark. He needed to talk to his heavenly father. He knew it was time for him to die. They had planned it long ago, he and his father. 
Jesus was going to take the punishment for all the wrong things anybody had ever done or ever would do. Papa, Father, Jesus cried, and he fell to the ground. Is there any other way to get your children back, to heal their hearts, to get rid of the poison? But Jesus knew there was no other way. All the poison of sin was going to have to go into his own heart. God was going to pour into Jesus' heart all the sadness and brokenness in people's hearts. He was going to pour into Jesus' body all the sickness in people's bodies. God was going to have to blame his son for everything that had gone wrong. It would crush Jesus. But there was something else, something even more horrible. When people ran away from God, they lost God. It was what happened when they ran away. Not being close to God was like a punishment. Jesus was going to take that punishment. Jesus knew what that meant. He was going to lose his father. And that, Jesus knew, would break his heart in two. Violent sobs shook Jesus' whole body. Then, Jesus was quiet like a lamb. I trust you, Papa, he said. Whatever you say, I will do. Oh, God, do not be still. 
the shadow of loneliness. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed. My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of the sinners. The shadow of desertion. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. 
Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kissed is the man. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, Do what you came for, friend. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrest him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put my, at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? In that hour, Jesus said to the crowd, Am I leading a rebellion that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching, and you did not arrest me. But this has all taken place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled.
the shadow of accusation. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. But they did not find any, though many false witnesses came forward. Finally, two came forward and declared, this fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God, tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. You have said so, Jesus replied. But I say to all of you, from now on you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, he has spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look, now you have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? He is worthy of death, they answered. Then they spit in his face and struck him with their fists. Others slapped him and said, prophesy to us, Messiah, who hit you?
the shadow of mockery. What shall I do then with the one you call King of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why, what crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they all shouted the louder, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews. Again and again, they struck him on the head with the staff and spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. Torn into dead, our rage 
The shadow of death. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified.